Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. I guess I didn't realize this when I came into, when I started my own company 20 years ago, that I had pretty much been in and out of sales my whole life. Um, And I remember back in 1989, 88, 89, I worked for Metropolitan Life Insurance for two years. Um, and, And it probably would have went much better than it did other than the fact that the savings and loan crisis hit in 89 and completely wiped out everything that I had worked for in two years. So that's when I ended up going to drive a truck because I didn't have any other skills. So I thought at the time. Um, I didn't realize that I actually had the ability to sell and I could have taken that somewhere else. But that's a, that's a completely different story. But I had this really wild experience. And the experience was basically this. When I worked for MetLife, it was the first opportunity that I had to see kind of a way out to earn more money than the average person was making because it was all commission. And it was really based up to you. So I was very excited about the possibility of that, having absolutely no clue about what it takes to actually do that or to become a really good salesperson. And I worked there for about seven months. I was doing okay. I mean, for for a new person coming in, I was taking all the training that they offered. Um, They didn't really offer any mindset training. It was all about technique and following their scripts and trying to memorize those things and and, and doing that. And I was doing okay. Probably the more difficult thing at the time, and I think that it probably still is for most life insurance people or anybody in sales, is actually getting the leads to be able to sell people to. So back then what we did was my weekends were spent um, taking letters, hand addressing them and signing them, folding them, right, and mailing out a couple of thousand letters a week, and you'd get about 1% return on that right? And in order to get the names for the letters, we used to do things like, and you can't do this anymore, but you could then, you go to the courthouse and you would get all the names of people that got married that month, all the names of people that had babies that month. You would look for anniversaries in the newspaper, any reason to send somebody a letter that would that you could then position as like, hey, you have a need for life insurance or to use it as an investment or whatever. So I'm doing okay. Um, the top guy in our district, and, and I was in a Midwest, Midwest part of the Midwest region, which has traditionally always been like the number one region for life insurance in the, in the world, really. They had, they, they had what they called their heavy hitters, right? The people that were like superstar salespeople. And I knew how much they had sold and I knew what they sold in order to when to go to the conferences and, you know, drive nice cars and all that stuff. So that was kind of inspirational. And then I saw something that I really think planted a seed for a total foundational shift in success for me. Um, that I didn't realize until later. This guy by the name of Rick, 
who previously worked for Jackson National Life, came to work for MetLife. And in the first month that he worked there, he was outselling everybody in the company. And people were sitting back going, what the hell, right? He was not a particularly polished guy. He had this big old beard. He was about 35 years old. And he was smoking everyone. And people were like asking, especially the younger guys like me, were going in like, what's, what's the magic with this dude, right? How is, how is he doing this? Everybody was like a bit starstruck with this guy. And uh, they would actually try to talk us down from it, like he's an anomaly, we're not sure that he's even doing things ethically, like we, we just don't know about this guy yet. So I'm watching him for a couple of months and I'm like, I have to get to know this guy. Turns out him and I hit it off really well, and we actually became close friends. And I knew him up until basically, I knew him for about even a year after I left Met. But the, here was the thing. This guy never taught me one thing about selling, and he tried. He didn't know why he was as good as he was. And the whole time, I'm like trying to suck up like a sponge. I would go, when I wasn't out on calls, I would go on calls with him. Be like, Rick, let me just sit and watch what it is that you're doing. And you would sit there and watch him, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, for fuck's sake, he's just having a normal conversation with these people, and they always buy. Like, what is going, like, how is he doing this? What is actually happening here? And I had went on, well, part of your training is that you go out with somebody who's really good and consistent anyway, and you do that for, I don't know, a month or so. I don't remember what the time frame was. And you watch them. And I, had, and I was trying to compare in my mind, like, what's the difference between this guy and everybody else? Even the seasoned veterans who had been there for 20 years, and they had, like, a tremendous book of business, and they hit conference every year, and, you know, they were always at the, at the top of the list, you know, like within the top five salespeople for the district. And I just couldn't put my finger... I just could not put my finger on what he was doing. Um, the only difference was that he had a whole stack of leads from w when he worked for Jackson National, but he was actually doing the same thing I was with the letters, and except he had the money to hire somebody to be able to do that on the weekends. So he didn't. So he didn't actually have to do it. But regardless of that, I could not figure out what it was about him that was so different um, that he would, that these people would buy. And not only would they buy, they would buy, he would go in, and, and I had literally seen him do this many times, because everybody started asking him, will you go on a sales call with me? Like, would you show me what it is that you're doing? And he would go in, and the person would, the person would do the presentation, um, they would say like, okay, they would get the person ready to agree to buy like a $100,000 whole life policy or something, which was pretty much a, a big deal. Like if you, if you were selling $100,000 whole life policies and you did a number of them in the month, your commission was pretty good. He would interject with the individual and they would walk out of there with a signed $500,000 policy or a million dollar policy. And it was so natural and normal and conversational that nobody could pick up on what it was he was doing. And so, but I'm gonna tell you, here's what, here's what the secret was. 
He did two things better than anybody else. He was supremely confident, not in any way arrogant. So there was no, he was completely unshakable in his confidence. There was nothing that you could say or do or any person that we would be around where he was not 100% confident. And he always asked for more than anybody else did. He asked for more, he asked asked for a higher amount. And not in an unethical way. It was like he would basically, most people would, you would do this like a survey thing, you know. Um, and And I forget the, the computation on how this actually worked. But basically what it was was what is a person's income? What are their assets? Uh, do they marry? Do they have children? And how do they maintain the current income level or increase it when, when they die? And we would, we would generally go look for people that, would, that were making more money, like professionals, doctors, attorneys, you know, anybody, dentists, you know, that type of thing. And when the numbers would start to increase, even the seasoned vets would back that number back down to what they thought they could get a yes at instead of asking for what was actually the right amount to sell. And if you ever ran across somebody who was relatively financially savvy about their own life and they realized that they make $2 million a year and they want that to continue when they die, they already knew that they wanted that. So that was like one of those like shoe-in easy sales. But they didn't come across but maybe once or twice a year that you would run into somebody that. Most people were looking at how do we actually save money. Rick never let that get in his mind. He always went for here's what you need to do this. What is the person's goals? What do they really want? Why do they want it? And then sell them exactly what it is that they wanted. And they would buy. And there was no nervousness about can they afford it? Can they not afford it? And even the best people that I went out with were always very concerned with that in their mind. So it's like they had this subconscious issue because they had their own financial issues in life. They were concerned about how much money they were spending. They were living on tight budgets that everybody else must view it the exact same way. So they were bringing that story into what they did. Um, I did not realize that until 11 years later when I started my own business. The first 20 million that my company made, I sold all of it directly. I didn't have anybody else selling for me. That was all, that was all me. And it was basically, it wasn't, and here's another thing that's interesting. I didn't realize what Rick did until I did it myself out of desire and necessity, which was increase my prices and not be concerned about what anybody else thinks. That changed my sales overnight. That's how I went from 50,000 a year to 50,000 a month, and then right after that I took it over a million. And there was nothing difficult about it. As a matter of fact, it was actually easier. The stress and strain that I was putting on myself prior to that about making sales at one point got me to doubt whether I wanted to stay in the business or not. And this is all in the first year, by the way, that I had started it. So those are the two things that I had to get past. I had to create an amount of money that I wanted to earn. Not that I should earn, not somebody else's goal, not somebody else's inspiration, do this, become a millionaire. It it had to be what I really wanted something that was a real desire of my own heart. 
And the reason behind it, I got very clear on that. And then I looked and structured my business based on how do I do that without killing myself, right? So when I started doing personal coaching, it was how much do I need to charge and how many people do I actually want to coach where I'm not working myself to death. I still have time to work on the other aspects of the business and still make the amount of money to live the lifestyle that I want to live. Once I got all that dialed in, it was just a matter of then getting over what other people would think. Now, it's, that may sound simple, but the part about getting over what other people think has a tremendous amount to do with how effective your conversation is with them. And that was the part that really, one day it dawned on me going, oh, this is why Rick had the ability to get such big policies. Because he was not afraid to have what most people think is a very sensitive conversation. And they get nervous when they have that conversation. So what he's doing is he's digging deep into vulnerable areas of a person's life when he was selling life insurance. And most people were like, I don't know if they're going to get upset if I talk about that. That's kind of a sensitive topic. And, you know, it could go into all different kinds of areas. Like if your, your husband passed away or your wife passed away, would she get remarried? Like all different kinds of things would come into play. And on occasion, you would have people where you would see them, like they would kind of take a step back when you were asking really personal questions. But every time they did that, what I realized was, it was because the person was nervous about asking the question. They weren't confident. They didn't seem to have empathy. They weren't coming from a place of compassion. All of a sudden, it got turned inward on how they were feeling about the question because they hadn't resolved their own issues, the things that, that they were vulnerable about, and then that got projected onto the client, and the client would start shutting down. And then they would try all these different tricks and techniques to try to turn the client around and it wouldn't work because at that person the per, at that point the person's already triggered they're in their own emotional disturbance they're not actually thinking about what's going on and that's when they will jump to a conclusion like oh this person's just trying to sell me right so it's just a projection of them you know being in their own stuff so in order to in order to move through that, um, when I first started doing this, one of the things that I was doing while I was running my own business was I was filling seminar seats for the person who was my mentor. And nobody had ever put that many people in seats before at, at his events. So he said to me, "Will he, first of all, he called me on the phone and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This seemed normal to me. Right? It, didn't, it never occurred to me that I was doing something that was kind of on the extraordinary level. And even though I knew that if I wanted to, what my, one of my goals was to be able to work with him personally because I wanted to learn everything that I could from him, but I had no idea that I was outperforming people that he had worked with and trained for years. So when that happened, he then asked me to come train his salespeople and train the other facilitators that he had that were out there coaching because the biggest problem they had was they couldn't get clients. They couldn't, put, they couldn't put butts in seats in events. So I went and spent like six months in Toronto just working 
working with those people, training them on how to sell. And the, the, the biggest problem, and I ran into this, I identified it in the first week, was I said to him, I said, Bob, here's the issue as I see it. And I said, please tell me if you think I'm full of shit or, or completely off base because you've been doing this a hell of a lot longer than me. But it seems to me that everybody that you have, that you have sold into these programs, they love your material. They're, it's changed their life in some way, but they have no confidence. And that's why they're not selling. And he said to be something that I then found out was not true, but I had no reason not to believe him at the time, even though it didn't sound right to me. I said, why don't we, why don't we create something where we can help them build some confidence in themselves? Because I think that if, you, if they could do that, they would be able to have a, a relatively decent sales conversation. And they said to me, you can't teach a person confidence. And he was basically talking about an adult, not a child. But I didn't understand why he was actually saying that. And I think it was probably like, it takes too long, which in most cases, there's an accuracy to that. So when you are teaching a child confidence, they actually build confidence based on the feedback they're getting from whatever task you're teaching them to do. And as they work through failing at that task and then they start to become proficient, they become confident that they can actually do that. And that's how a person builds confidence as a youngster into like if you wanna look at somebody who's a supremely confident adult in all situations. That's how it actually works. But what do you do when you have an adult that's lacking confidence in certain areas? Everybody comes and they approach it the same way that they do fear. It's kind of like, how do I get the fear to go away so that I can do this thing? How do I become confident so that I can do this thing? And they don't realize that the way to build the confidence is to do the thing until you start to master it. And then you will have the confidence in order to keep doing whatever that thing is in your, in your life, in your career. So you have to push through the feelings of being uncomfortable when you first start and really stretch yourself to go to places where you're not 100% confident. And that's where you face the rejection. That's where you face ridicule, criticism, whatever. If you can move through that and consistently get better and look at everything as a learning perspective, like I'm, I'm really learning how to do something that's very important to me, makes a difference to other people, makes a difference in my life, and then come out on the other side as having mastered that skill set, it takes a lot of the weight off of the idea that there's something wrong with you or you're never going to be able to do it or this, maybe this wasn't meant to be. Whatever story that a person creates in their mind. Because I've never met anybody that, um, that can't become an excellent salesperson if they're willing to put in the work and they know what causes the insecurities in themselves that then show up when they're in a conversation with another person. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So what I want to do is take you through a process that kind of shows you your own internal buying strategy and your own internal money stories or sales stories that you have about yourself. Because I have found that if you understand you better, you're going to recognize when this shows up with somebody else. And because you understand you better, 
and you're more comfortable with whatever you're insecure about, it begins to remove that discomfort when you're having conversations with other people. So you can have a conversation. When that energy shifts with a person, you're able to sit in that space and not feel rattled. Has everybody been in this space before where it like now it's nervous energy and all you're thinking about is how the hell do I get out of here? Like, just get me off the fucking phone. I mean, this is, this is crazy, right? Everybody's experienced that before. What you want to be able to do is to be able to change their energy by your confidence in that space. That's what Rick was doing that I had, because you can't see that. It's not like it's a technique. It's just that he wasn't rattled. So when a person would get uncomfortable, he knew how to make them comfortable. And it, it, yes, it could be something that you say here or there or whatever, or how you verbally or physically respond to what's going on. But the real key is that your energy does not shift and become uncomfortable. Because we're like energetic sponges. If you put yourself in an environment where the energy is like, like if you go to a rock concert, right? And the energy is all up and everybody's pumped and you're excited to see the band. You kind of just take on that energy. It's, it takes you to a different level. More so than if you were to try to get yourself in that energetic state all by yourself, right? So music has a way of changing your energy. It makes you feel like you want to dance or you want to sing or you want to express yourself. It does that. If you go to a funeral, you, kind of, you, you may not even really know the person. You're just there to support somebody that you know that died. It's like you come out of there and you're like, ugh, get it off me, right? That's it's thick in there. You know what I mean? Um, when you're in love with somebody, that person that loves you, when they're in that energy, it has a way of changing your energy. You feel love more. You become more open. There is that, that back and forth of that energy between two people. So it's a real thing. It's not a woo-woo thing. I mean, it, it's absolutely 100% real that we respond to our energetic environment. If we can become conscious of how and why we're doing that, then we can control it. And we can remove any stories that are reactive to that energy. So like a good example of that would be, have you ever been around, or let's put it like this. Somebody does something, everybody think about, about something that somebody has done to you in the past where you just got unbelievably angry. Can you remember something like that? Can anybody not remember something like that? Okay, so think about that for a second. The anger's coming from within inside yourself. It's, it's, a, it's a story that you're playing. It's a perception. It is the way that you're uh, critically thinking about what they're doing, and it's triggering something inside of you that you're actually afraid of. Because anger is our natural defense to fear. Now, you may not realize that in the moment when it's happening, but that's exactly what's going on. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a neg negative thing e either. It can be a positive thing, if it's, especially if it's something that's jeopardizing your life. But what's important to know is that you're responding energetically not just to the thing that the other person did, 
but what it means to you inside. What it means in your emotional self, in your critical thinking self, in the past history of your life. And it, boom, it just causes you to go into that angered state. And we have responses like that with everything. There are things that will cause you to go into a sad state, or a loving state, or an aroused state, or an excited, expecting state, or a, a depressive state. Anytime you have a story that is wrapped around any of those emotions or any, any emotion in your past, you are vulnerable to having that being triggered by any person that knows either consciously or accidentally how to trigger those emotions in you. And immediately you go back into it. With sales, we usually have a lot of them because it's wrapped up in a bunch of different stories. First of all, salespeople historically are not viewed very well. There's always been a lot of negativity around, you know, the sleazy salesperson, the con man. They just want to take your money. They just have a quota to hit, whatever it might be. So what happens is that if you have that in you, anytime you go into a situation where you, you consciously know that they're going to try to sell you, your guard goes up. And you go into that defense place, right? Like, I have to be defensive because I need to buy the washing machine, but I don't want to have the guy shove it down my throat and buy a model or a feature or something that I don't want. Same thing with like cars, right? So you're going into that in a defensive place. When for most things that we're buying, it should be something that we're happy about, not something that we're not happy about. That would be buying something that you want. Why are you going into that frame of energy? Because either you had a bad experience before or you were told all of your life to expect that kind of an experience when you're in that situation. So it's not even something that you're really doing from a place of thinking it through like, is there really any reason that I need to feel this way when I go into a sales situation? Because I'm an adult. I have the power to say no. I know what I want and I don't want. So if we're thinking it logically, that should, be the, that should be your truth. But when it's coming from emotionally, because either you've heard that story over and over again all of your life and you were told that you need to um, uh, prepare yourself to not be conned or swindled or buy something that you don't need, or you've had the experience, then that program comes up for a person. So we have to really think, what is it that I've heard all of my life about sales? What have been the experiences that I've had around sales? Have I ever been conned before? Have I ever been talked into buying something that I don't want or need before? And then you have money, right? So money is like, what is, what is my money story? What have I grown up thinking about money as far as spending it or not spending it or saving it? Or, what's probably even more important, what am I actually spending it on? Because that's really big. Am I being too extravagant? Should I not buy something like this? Is everybody going to think I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses? Like, what is the story that you have around watching your parents spend money? Um, the comments that they would make about how other people spent money. Like, that's a stupid purchase, or... Um, 
why are, how come they won't spend enough to uh, take care of their house or keep up their yard or drive a decent car or fix their car. We've heard so many stories from people about how other people spend their money. And when we hear those stories from people that we want approval from, like our parents when we're growing up, when we're young, we automatically just take on the story as being that's the way that this is, especially in the first seven years of life. Because in the first seven years of life, we don't have the ability to critically think. We just take all the information in. There's no ability to reject those ideas. And from a scientific perspective, at that point, the subconscious mind is in a theta state of, um, of, of energy. That's where the brain is, which is the same state that a hypnotist uses when they hypnotize you. So they relax the conscious mind. The subconscious mind is completely open. And the subconscious mind doesn't have the ability to reject anything. It can only take things in. Our ability to reject comes from the conscious mind. And a hypnotist then makes suggestions based on whatever it is that you want to change. Those suggestions go into the subconscious mind. They take root. And then you back them up with reinforcement behaviors as to whatever a hypnotist recommends. When we're from, from literally from the moment of conception to seven years old, our subconscious mind is programmed by the environment, whatever environment that we're in. And we're constantly getting those messages. They form the foundation of how we think, which is, especially when you're learning sales, it's so extremely important to understand this because we can easily fool ourselves into that we're consciously thinking about something when we're not. So if you look at this diagram as a human being, has anybody not seen me do this before? Everybody familiar with this? Because if you, if you haven't seen me do it before, I'll explain, I'll go into more depth around it. So everybody has, good. This is the conscious mind, this is the subconscious mind. So from, um, from conception to seven, the subconscious mind is completely being programmed, and then that becomes the foundation of how we think. Now, this is important for this reason. We have senses. We see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. That means all of our senses are constantly in observation of what's going on in our environment. Environment being people, places, and things, okay? There are millions of things going on constantly in your environment, but your brain can only focus, can only take in about 40 bits of information at any one period of time and really only focus on one. Why is this important? Well, when we're in a situation where we want to evaluate something, we're focused on what it is that we're seeing, hearing, feeling with our senses. That information is being fed back into our conscious mind, and we think. And when we think about this, if it's something that we're familiar with, because that's the first thing that the brain does when you, when you see something or when you experience it, it automatically says, do I know what this is, or is this something that I don't know? Now, you don't realize it's doing that, 
but it does it so fast that what it really what it where you do recognize it is when it tells you what the thing is so you'd identify this as a marker you don't need to think have I had an experience with this before or not you instantly just know that it's a marker so what is the brain doing it's actually tapping into that file system in your subconscious mind that knows what this is and has stored information about everything that this can do and what your experience is around it. But you will only focus on this from the aspect of what's most important about it in the moment. Like, you know that there's this felt tip and that there's a liquid on the inside and that the color is blue and that it's a Sharpie. You know, you know all different kinds of things about this. But if all you're concerned with is writing with it in the moment, you don't think about all those other things, even though all that information is in your mind. You only think about what it is that you need to use this for in the moment. But everything else is there simultaneously, okay? That's where your subconscious mind tells you how to think about what this is. And 99% of our day, we go through life with our subconscious mind telling our conscious mind how to think about what it is that we're observing or what it is that we're focused on. So we don't actually give any critical thought process to something unless we're trying to figure out something that we don't know the answer to or we don't know what it is or we don't know like if you're in a volatile situation but you don't, you're not sure. Right? So you're, you're, that's when we use our critical mind. The rest of it is subconscious. Now I want you to think about how powerful this actually is. If we all know, and we've probably all heard this story before, that at one point you didn't know how to drive a car. And then you learned how to drive a car. So you learned how to do all the different thousand movements that you have to do to drive a car and go wherever it is that you need to go. If you really think about it, there are a tremendous amount of things that you have to remember in order to become a proficient driver where you're not a nervous wreck every day. And you could go from here to Charlotte and four of us, three of us could be in the car with you and we could all be having a conversation and laughing and whatever and there could be music on in the background and you get a text message simultaneously. And for the most part, you can handle all of that without a problem. But when you get to Charlotte, you probably won't remember the drive. Now, what's important about that is you literally are not conscious, consciously registering everything that happened on that drive because you, your conscious mind was focused on the conversation. Your subconscious mind was driving the car. Now, you think about that for a minute. That is, that is an unbelievable amount of power that our mind has to be able to do something while we're consciously focused on something else. Your subconscious mind runs every system in your body. Trillions of cells are changing all the time. It's keeping track of your heart rate. It's keeping track of your breath, your blood pressure, your digestion the growth of everything that needs to continue to grow while you're focused on doing whatever it is that you're doing every day. It's extraordinarily powerful. 
And it's one of the, one of the main reasons, like it's, it's a great asset to us in being able to do all of those things. But when we're looking to make a change or we're looking to do something where we have any kind of internal conflict around it, most of the time you're subject to the internal conflict, not the focus on what it is that you're doing. So think about this. You're having a sales presentation with somebody. You're trying to remember to stay focused on the specifics of the presentation. Who is this person? Why do they need this? What are they going to use it for? Do, do I or do I not need to make this sale? Am I having money problems? Am I under some kind of a quota that I have to hit? And then you have all of the details and features of the product or the service that you're trying to communicate and map into why they need this thing. Subconsciously, your mind is going, you're in danger. Why are you in danger? Because you have a conflict from what your mother said about salespeople. You have a conflict from what your father said about taking money from people. You have a conflict from your grandmother that says that you shouldn't be all that in life. Consciously, you're trying to better yourself. You're trying to increase your income. And you have all these internal conflicts that are going on at the same time. And what do those conflicts then regulate? Your breathing, your heart rate, your body temperature, the nervousness of your body, how you're sitting, the tone of your voice. It's even controlling what you're hearing and what you're not hearing. That's why two people can have a completely different experience talking to the same person at the same time. One person hears one thing, another person hears another thing. So if you're not aware that that's going on, you could be sabotaging what it is that you so desperately want to do in life and not even understanding how that's happening. Because you have all of these different mechanisms in your brain controlling everything that you're doing. Not to mention, how about getting up to the place where we can actually have a conversation with another person, whether we're making phone calls or we're making cold calls to a company or we're talking to thousands of people in an audience from a stage or we're on the phone. And then are we, are we, is our mind intentionally distracting us from that because we've had some kind of rejection in the past or we don't, it's very uncomfortable to do that and it's, focused, it's got us focused on fixing something on our website or taking care of the dog or dealing with another problem that you've got going on in your environment. And it, so it starts to then prioritize what's most important. But in that, in that framework, dealing with something that, you're, that you have fear around or insecurity and you're not comfortable and you've convinced yourself you don't really want to do this and when can I get, hire another salesperson to do it, if that gets pushed all the way to the bottom of the list. And I know this because I hear people, I've heard people for 20 years tell me, I know I'm supposed to make sales, and I get to the end of the day, and I got caught up in all this other stuff. When sales was the most important thing that they should be focused on for the desired result that they want to get in life. Who can identify with that at least a little bit? Yeah, right? Okay, so... How do, how do we overcome this? And, and I'm going 
I'll mention this several times because you can't hear this enough. And it's not just with sales, it's with everything. If you want to change something in your life, you have to realize how powerful your subconscious mind is trying to stop you from changing it. So pushing against it rarely works. It may work in a moment of an emergency, but if you, if you really want to change a pattern long-term or something that's habitual, you have to understand how this works, and you have to understand how to change it so that it doesn't get in your way. And one of the great benefits, like I said, was to become conscious of what you're currently unconscious about. Because you can't change it if you don't know that it's actually happening. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.